right. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. And you might be saying, hey, we did things a little bit different this morning. The scripture wasn't read before the sermon. And so some of you guys are like out of routine already. You're like, oh, dude, what happened? I need routine. I don't like change. Well, it's a very subtle change, and I think you'll be okay. All right? Um, But you'll see why (laughs) in just a second. Why we didn't do it as scripture reading is because I wanted to provide some uh, upfront um, intro things to it before we got into the text. Uh, So, because some of you guys might have been like shocked and been like, oh man, does the Bible say that? And that's one of the cool things about walking through the Bible verse by verse is it it deals with things that um, we don't get to choose um, to let it deal with or not, <laughs> right? It, it causes us to address things. That's one of the reasons I love going te- verse by verse. One of the reasons I love going uh, through, through books is it causes us to deal with things that we, we may not otherwise deal with and, and address or, or know. And so today is one of those, those texts in, in some of the things we're going to look at. But as we begin today, I, I want us to begin with this idea of being content. Being content. Um, contentment is a struggle, right? Contentment is a struggle. Being okay with, with things sometimes and, and, and resting in the Lord in, in circumstances and being satisfied in Him alone sometimes is, is hard and a, and a struggle. And so contentment can be tough. Paul, Paul dealt with this, and, and, and the churches he ministered to dealt with it to, to great degree. And so listen to what Paul says. I, w- I want to read this to you, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians 7. But in Philippians chapter 4, um, Paul says this in verse 11. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And and here's the secret, right? And we use this verse uh, in so many different ways in, in life. And Paul used this verse dealing with contentment and, and being satisfied in Christ alone. And here's how he shares it, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So whether in want, times of poverty, hard times, times of struggle, times that, that don't go my way, um, by God's strength, he says right here, as the wind just blew, um, or the air, <laughs> um, God strengthens me. God strengthens me through those times to be content and to rest in him. And even in times of plenty and in times of good and, and, and wealth, I, I, I find contentment, my, my resting is in him and not my circumstances, not my stuff, but, but my resting and satisfaction is in 
him. And, and so Paul is going to deal with that attitude, that, that, that struggle that we all have, and he's going to deal with it in relationships in life in 1 Corinthians 7. And, and I want to read to you a, a, a few places in the text, and, and then we'll, we'll go a little bit verse by verse this morning, but, but look at verse 17 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Um, he says, only as the Lord has assigned to each one as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And we're going to get back to this at the end of the, the, the sermon today, but I wanted to, to read to you that. And then listen to what he says in verse 20 um, as well. Each man must remain in that condition. That condition is the word maybe like vocation or calling, you could say. He says, must remain in that condition in which he was called. A key phrase, in which he was called. And then look at verse 20. For brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called again. So you see some repetition here. And, and what Paul is going to do in chapter 7 is he is going to encourage us to stay faithful right where we're at. Right where we're at. And, and, and sometimes it's hard because we struggle with being content with right where we're at. Because sometimes we think, well, if, if I had that, only if I had that, that would change everything. That would bring change. That, that would bring happiness. That would, that would make things better. That would make things better. I, I sat with a guy one time, and um, we were talking about his marriage, and he, he wanted to leave his wife. And we're going to deal with that a little bit here. And, and he told me that his worship was better when he was not with his wife. And that things would be better in his spiritual life not being with his wife. And, 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 and the enemy can so twist our thinking in this area to it even takes us to places like that. And, 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 and where Paul... I mean, he's going to hit that head on this morning. Things like that and thoughts of, of, of not being faithful where we're at and, and changing circumstances, changing relationships, be, because we, we think that would be better. But yet Paul's like, no, 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 no. Time out. Be faithful right where you're at. And so look at the text this morning with that in mind because God wants us to be content and to rest in him, be satisfied in him alone, and be faithful right where we're at. So look what he says. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote. And so this is Paul in letter form writing back to the church in Corinth, and he's addressing the letters they have sent, at least two, probably more. And he addressed this in chapter 1, Chloe and those in the church have written to Paul about certain matters. We've seen some of them, and here's what he's going to do from chapter 7 all the way to the end of the letter through chapter 16. He's going to address all these things that they wrote to him about. And, and so Paul, when you read this this morning, don't, don't read it with that he's like got a pound fist and he's going like this and he's preaching at him like that and he's just giving it to him. He's not, okay? 
he's writing with pastoral care and pastoral sensitivity, okay? But, but there is some, some great um, mistaken interpretations. There, there is some, like, horribly um, twisted truths that the church in Corinth were living by and believing in. Uh, we called them last week some slogans, and they're, they're slogans. And, and they kind of look like that, this in our day, where people sometimes will, will say, like, you know what the Bible says, or, or God says this, and then they'll say things like, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. And you're like, that's where you got to call a timeout or throw a flag or something and do like a, an official review, right? And what do you review? Well, let's go to the text, right? It ain't in there. It ain't, it ain't in there. I don't, I don't know. That's not in there. And there's other things. In fact, I went online this morning, and uh, different sites like Christianity Today and other sites did, were putting slogans that people say they're in the Bible that aren't, right? And here's what happens. is in, in Corinth, with the church here, they were doing the same thing. They were doing the same thing. And this morning, what Paul's going to do is he's going to address these things. Because what were they known for doing? Okay. Well, in chapter 4, verse 6, remember what Paul says. They go outside of God's word okay, for their wisdom. That's where they were going. And so that's why for four chapters, Paul addresses worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, unbiblical wisdom versus biblical wisdom. He's going to address that for four chapters. And now he's going to get to the practical. Now he's going to get to the application. And now he's going to call them out. Right? Again, with pastoral care, he is going to let them know, hey, listen, these things aren't right. Let's make sure we know what's right, and let's stay faithful right where God has us with all contentment. And so look what he says in verse 1 as we continue. He says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay? Now when you read that, you're like, all right, okay. I'll go with that, especially parents of, of, of teens and young kids. You're like, yeah, go, yeah. I'm going to put that on, my, you know, on the wall, right? Okay. The, the idea here is also, in some text, all right, it, it is good for a man not to marry a woman, okay? Some texts say that. And so here is the twisted view that these guys had in the church. This was in the church, okay? This was a slogan that they were saying. And so their idea was this, okay? They, they thought they were spiritual, okay? Well, Paul said we're spiritual. Well, their idea of spiritual, we saw a little bit this last week, is, is here's the soul, and we're made up of soul and spirit, and here's the body, and, and, and this is of worldly material, and they viewed the body as evil. And so if you remember last week, their view was this, okay? Well, since that is true, okay, it's not, but that's what they believed. Since they believe that, we're going to do whatever we want in the body, okay? Sexual morality, drunkenness, gluttony, have at it. Because what matters is the soul. The soul is spiritual and good. That was one view, and we saw last week, Paul said, time out. No, all right? The body is not for immorality. The, the, the body is 
from the Lord and is for the Lord, is what he said. God has redeemed both soul and body. So he said that last week. Well, this week is kind of flipped a little bit. They, they still believe this about the soul and the spirit, but, but since this view of the body, what they're saying is the body is evil. And so we are to abstain, okay, not only from sexual morality, but from sex and marriage, because those two things are supposed to go together. And so they're saying we should not have anything to do with that. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 this is off base. This is out of line. This, this is completely unbiblical. And look at what he says in verse 2. But because of immoralities, specifically what he has in mind here is, is sexual immoralities, okay? Each man is to have his own wife, okay? And each woman is to have her own husband. And so Paul gets right to it here and says, listen, no, no, you are um, to be married, to, to have a husband, wife, and you are to engage in sexual relations. That, that's his answer back to them. And so what Paul would say, if you took last week and this week together, Paul would say this. He would say no to sexual immorality. Any sex outside of marriage, no, that you abstain from, okay? In marriage, though, all right, he gives an emphatic yes to sex. Yes, and don't abstain, okay? That's his response back. And so look at verses 3, 4, and 5 of how he's going to respond this. You see why this is probably not the, the text that is picked for topical studies, Okay, all right, maybe some of you are like, well, why not? Let's go, come on, all right, here we go. All right, look at three, four, and five. Look what he says next. He says, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Let's stop there for a second, okay? So, he addresses marriage, right? And he tells these people who are misguided, okay? They're wanting to get out of their marriages or they're not meeting each other's needs is what he's addressing here because of their false view of this idea of the spirit and the body. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, listen, Scripture's real clear that when you are married, you become one flesh, right? And you're to enjoy the relationship, which, which includes sex, Paul says here. And then he says in verse 5, he says, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so Paul says right here, okay, the, the time that there is abstaining, right, Paul says is for spiritual reasons. Now, he says here, he doesn't say that there may not be other reasons at different times. He doesn't say that. But specifically what it says here, he, he addresses the spiritual side of this. And he says, listen, there might be times from abstaining from sexual relations in marriage, maybe because of, of prayer, but, but he says that abstinence or that abstaining should not be long, 
Because he says here, Satan will come in and tempt. And because of a lack of self-control, could tempt someone into sexual morality, right? And, and so that's what he addresses as far as abstinence within marriage. He says this is what this would look like. But he says as far as this idea of abstaining completely, which they were saying in verse 1, Paul says, no way. God has created the gift of sex for marriage alone to enjoy, not to abstain from it. Paul says that makes no sense. And then look at verse 6. He says here, but this I say by way of concession, not of command. Most likely what he was referring to here is he's talking about this idea of in marriage, when would you abstain, okay? And he says sometimes for prayer, there may be some other reasons as well, but otherwise what he's saying here, there should be regular relations within marriage. And then what he says in verse 7, he says here, yet I wish that all men were even as myself am. Interesting, Paul. Um, However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. And so what is Paul talking about here? He says in beginning of verse 7, I wish that all men were even as I, myself, and many believe that, that Paul was a single man, right? There's much debate over that, but it seems to line up that he lived as a single man. And he says right here, I, I wish, um, but, or excuse me, I wish that all men were even as myself am. And, and, and why does Paul say this? Here, here's why I think Paul says this, okay? Some people read that, and they may look at Paul and be like, What? Paul, why are you saying that? Because he's going to say it again. He's going to say it again. And it might cause some tension within. And you might be like, what? What is Paul meaning by this? Okay? And there's a couple of things. And the first thing is this, is that Paul faced many hardships. He faced many persecutions in ministry. Okay? And as he did, I believe Paul was saying here, if I had a wife and I had kids going through shipwreck, going through imprisonment, going through all these things, I think Paul was looking at that side of things and saying, man, how hard it would be on them. I think that's what Paul has in mind here. Now, I'm reading between the lines. That's not in black and white here, right? But, but I think some of that. I remember um, Annette and I had... I don't know, I think been married a year, and I was in Peru, and I'll never forget it. Um, I got violently sick, 105 degree temperature. I'm in the uh, city called Chiquion, up in the uh, Whitewash Mountains, and I'm eight hours away from a hospital. And I got people bringing needles in, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no doctors, and these people are bringing needles in. You're not touching me, right? I was that aware, but, but sick and sick and sick. And I remember, um, and I don't, I don't even remember, Nick could come up and tell you even more how this happened. I remember uh, calling back home, and that was hard as it was, and, and, and talking to her and just being in that distance, but knowing, man, I'm, I'm not doing well, right? And, and just that, and I, as I was reading it this week, I thought, man, that's, I, I just wonder if that's what Paul felt at times, right? On the flip side, I read this and I'm like, 
Paul, really? I, I look at ministry and, and, and I think, man, I, I love having my wife and my kids and, and being in ministry. I, I love that. I love that. So, but I think Paul is, is going there. Because some might say, why may Paul say this? And I think sometimes, I think Paul is thinking through that a little bit. And we'll see there's some other reasons. We're going to see that probably next week that we'll bring up as well. But, but look at verse 7, the last part. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So what he's saying here, hey, is both marriage and single are gifts, are gifts. And, and one is not inferior to the other. That there should never be, you know, the looking down by married people on single people and, and vice versa. And, and so Paul says here, both are a gift. Both are a gift from God. And may they be used for the glory of God. And so Paul is going to continue with this idea of marriage. Look what he says next in verse 8. But he says, I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. So again, he says this again, right? To single people and to widows. And then he says this, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What Paul is saying here. For a single person or widow, there's nothing wrong with staying single. But he's saying, if you want to get married, get married. And that might seem like, well, duh. But remember what he's dealing with. Because the people in Corinth and the church were discouraging marriage because of their faulty view that they had of the spirit and a body. But I think one thing Paul would say when he is promoting marriage to a single or to a widow, he would say this, but, but you are to marry a believer. You are to marry one in the Lord, one who knows Christ, right? In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians six fourteen in his second letter, he says, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness, Singles and, and widows, if, if you marry what Paul is saying here, marry someone who loves Jesus, who's devoted to him. And so some Corinthians were giving up on the whole idea of marriage. And what Paul is saying is, don't give up on it. It is good. It is great. It's from God. God created it with great purpose. And then look what he says in verse 10 and 11. But to the married... I give instructions. And so here's this whole idea that they were throwing around about marriage in Corinth and the church, and, and he says, get married, single and widows, if, if you want to, right? There's that freedom there. But then look at verse 10. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. Interesting, okay? He says that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. And so some who were married and had this false theology going on in their head, when they were leaning toward this idea of the spirit and the body and the evil of the body and that they should not be married because of that, Paul says right here, divorce is not an option. 
ending the marriage is not an option. And so as they are going against marriage, Paul is saying back to them, no, God is for marriage. Christians should not end their marriages. And Paul says here, if they do separate, they should remain unmarried and seek reconciliation. To seek reconciliation. Now, Paul says here, not I, but the Lord says this. So what's, what's he doing here? So one of the things he's doing is, is he's, he's, he's saying, hey, listen, as I write this letter, okay, I want you to know I, I am not writing it just from my point of view, okay? It's like every time I get up here to preach, I, my goal is, is never to get up here from my point of view, right? But, but what does the Lord say? And that was Paul's heart. What does the Lord say? And so if you go back, and you can look at several places, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, but, but one place I want to go to this morning is Mark 10, because this is what Paul, I believe, had in mind with the words of Christ. And, and this is what Jesus said. Some Pharisees, in verse 2 of Mark 10, came up to Jesus. They were testing him, began questioning him, whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? Okay, so he goes back to the men of the law. They knew the law. Go back to what Moses said. They said to him, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. The reason for that, we could follow the historical and the context of that day, was because um, the, the women, if they, they were just sent away with no certificate, that they would be given over to prostitution, to, to great poverty. And so the reasons for that, we don't have a lot of time to get into that, that was the reason, one of the reasons for the certificate. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, and that's really the issue, he wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, so going all the way back to Genesis, God made them male and female. God created the gender, he says here. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, okay, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples heard this. And they began questioning Jesus, in verse 10, about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And, and so Jesus was real clear. Jesus for marriage. Why? Because God ordained it. God created it. That this is of God. It's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing. And, and Jesus comes and says the same thing and says, what God has brought together, the two that now have become one, let no man Separate. Let no man mess with the, the, the idea of marriage, change it, um, let no man end it, all that. And Jesus says, it's God's idea from the beginning. It's God's way. Don't mess with it. Don't destroy it. And don't end it. Divorce, God hates. He hates it, right? At the same time, it does happen. It happens in our society. It, it happens in relationships. It, it's, it's present, right? It happens. Um, 
But Paul says right here, may it not be in verse 10. May we be faithful where we're at right now. And remember, he writes this with great sensitivity, great care. But he wants them to be faithful right where they're at right now. And then he tells them there, there is problems, there's strife, there's struggles. And for some reason, there's reasons for separations. And, and sometimes there is a need for that, depending for different circumstances. But he says the goal should be what? Reconciliation. All right? And so he addresses that with the church. And then he says uh, um, in verse 12, look what he says next. And it's a more lengthy section, but he says, To the rest I say this. Okay, so to the rest. So who has he addressed specifically with this idea of marriage? It's good, he says. Um, Enjoy sexual relations within it. Um, not only that, stay married. Then he addresses not only the married, but he addresses singles. He addresses widows. And he says, listen, do you want to get married? Get married, right? Second Corinthians chapter 6, get married to a believer. And so he addresses this. And then he says to the rest, what might that be? What's he talking about? He says, again, not the Lord, that if any brother has uh, or let me go back to verse 12. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live um, with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy or sanctified. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And so Paul is addressing here a married couple, it seems, that were both unbelievers when they get married. But since being married, one has come to faith in Christ while the other one remains an unbeliever. That, that is a scenario that seems to be likely to what Paul is addressing here. And so the question seems to be, what should we do, Paul? What should we do? Um, should the believer get out of the marriage in order to keep pure? Because remember this idea of soul and body that they had. And so Paul answers emphatically, no, stay in the relationship you were in when God called you to faith. Faith in Christ in the Lord Jesus will never destroy the covenant of marriage which God ordained at creation. Stay married, he says here. And the believing spouse may affect the unbelieving spouse for good. And, and same for the children as well, as God brings grace to such a situation. But he does say here, if there is hostility and strife in the relationship, Paul doesn't give the Christian an option to leave here. But if the unbeliever leaves, what does he say to the believer? Seek peace. Be peaceful. I think what also this means is, is leave time for reconciliation. That's huge. My 15 years of, 
of, of pastoral ministry here at the Ridge, one, one of the things that I have seen is, is when couples struggle and, and, and there's separation, there's, there's talks of divorce and all that kind of things. One of the things that, that I have seen is, is the, the failure in this area to leave room and time for reconciliation. And Paul specifically speaking here to an unbelieving situation and a believer situation, but it applies to all, but specifically in this situation. And so what is he saying here? In, in other words, coming to faith in Christ does not make a person want to abandon relationships that are appointed by God, but to sanctify them, to sanctify them, to set them apart for, for God's glory. And so what does this mean here? I think by, for the believer, by prayer and humility and godly conduct, the believing partner longs to win the, the unbeliever, to see them come to faith. But what he's also saying here, as Jesus mentioned in Matthew 10, 34, the rebellion or the unbelief of the unbelieving spouse could turn the Christianity, not the Christian, but the Christianity, the presence of the gospel, into a sword that severs as well, as it talks about in Matthew 10, instead of peace that heals. But what Paul is saying here, as long as it depends on the believer, may it be peace, and may they seek reconciliation. So the principle that Paul follows is stay. Stay in your God-ordained relationships. Do not seek to abandon them or destroy them. Stay. And so one may say, okay, for me this, this is good. Okay, it's good hearing. But this is also good for counsel, right? And, and, and for all of us, as, as we have friends and as we have people that we engage with, with in life and as we're... Uh, there's conversations, and, and maybe they're sharing about things going on in their life or their marriage or whatever it may be. This chapter is a great resource. It's a great resource for us um, to, to give practical advice, to give godly wisdom. This is godly wisdom that Paul is sharing here. And then as we close, I want us to look at this, back to those verses that we begin with today. Look what he says in verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. Each man, verse 20, must remain in that condition in which he was called. Okay? I want, it, I want you to hear the emphasis on being called. And then look at verse 24. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. And then I want to bring in another verse. Look at verse 35. And we're going to look at the other verses in between all this next week. Have some fun next week with this. But look at verse 35. Look at the last part after he says, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And I, and I think in all of this, I love that last part, devotion to the Lord that's what Paul so wants from the church. Devotion to the Lord. What does the Lord want? Let's be devoted to that, not what we want. Not, not to slogans or, or thoughts, or human wisdom, but be devoted to 
the Lord. Because why? He has called us. You look at verse 17, you look at verse 20, you look at verse 24. The principle that Paul had already taught in relation to marriage is here mentioned clearly three times. And what does Paul mean by this idea of being called or this calling? A lot of times we'll say things like this. Well, I've been called to be a, when we fill in the blank, and we usually talk about our vocation, right? Not what Paul's talking about here. In fact, the word calling that he used here repetitively from 17 to 24, okay, he does not use it that way. And so what is it? Um, What Paul is referring to here is a divine call by God in which one is drawn into belief in Jesus Christ. This calling is the Holy Spirit's pull into fellowship with Jesus, into a relationship with Christ. And so very simply, the, the call that God, uh, uh, the call of God that comes to a person by the power of God converts one, converts the soul through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's how Paul began this letter. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so all Christians and only Christians are called in this sense. The called here in verse 17, 20, and 24 are not all who hear the preaching necessarily, but those who receive the preaching that, of the cross of Jesus Christ as wisdom and believe in it. And so therefore, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, 20, and 24, that we should remain and live with God in the state in which we were called, he means this. He means remain in the state you were in when you were converted, when you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you were drawn by God into believing, into this loving fellowship with his son. He says, stay faithful where you're at. Stay faithful. Be content. Rest in him who called you. Stay faithful. So if you're in here today, you hear the preaching. And it's not all who hear the preaching that are called, but it's those who respond to the gospel, who behold it as the wisdom of God, who who trust in Christ As Paul is going to say down in verse 23, you were bought with a price. Jesus Christ went to a cross and he paid a price, the penalty of death for us so that we who are broken by sin, serving of hell, Jesus went The Bible says he became sin on our behalf. And he did that so that we could now have the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says those who believe in Christ and his death and his resurrection, believe him to be Lord of their life, they are saved from the penalty of sin, which is death and separation from God forever, and now have the free gift of eternal life. And they are called by God. It's a work that God does. 
some gift that God gives to us and that by the hand of faith we receive. And so today, if you're in here today and you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, do not let this day pass. Today in the colony, um, a great guy who has been in this congregation a, a couple times to, to visit um, is going to be remembered at, at the high school in, in their auditorium. And um, the reason being is because um, he was a great PE teacher. I mean, a great PE teacher. Uh, above and beyond. Loved kids, cared for kids. I met him a few years ago when we moved to the colony. I, I would see him and I think, oh. One of the things I, I first noticed about him is, is he was older. I mean, I think probably when we first saw him, probably in his 50s, maybe, maybe early 60s. But it, it, his name was, was Gary Cox. And, and I remember seeing him. I'm like, man, this, this is awesome. This guy's a PE teacher. He's impacting kids. And, but then when I, when I started getting to talk to him and, and know him a little bit, I, I started realizing how much he loved Jesus. I just loved Jesus. And when you left talking with him at any time, you, you knew that he loved Jesus and he cared for you. He, and one of the things that I loved of, of, about Mr. Cox, and I always refer to him as that just out of respect, because he was, he was just a man who just loved the Lord, just loved the Lord. He loved kids. He loved people. But um, one of the things that, that was clear about him is, is he was called. And he was faithful right where he at, right where God put him. And God used him. And he was devoted to the Lord. And his life's going to be remembered today because of those things. And that's what the Lord wants for us. He calls us. He calls us to be his sons and daughters. And he calls us to be faithful in our marriages, in our relationships. Whether single, widow, be devoted to the Lord. May it be so. Let's pray.